This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. We're hot. We're fun. We're crying. But we're trying. We've got looks. We've got books. Also, we're sad. Sad Sad Girls Who Read. This week on Sad Girls Who Read, we are covering personal essays by icon Melissa Broder. I fucking love her. The author of So Sad Today and a bunch of other books, like Milk Fed, is one of my absolute favorite books. But we are going to be covering her book of essays that cover so many different themes. We have vomit fetishes. Mm. We have eating disorders. We have love addiction. There are so many things that we're going to run through and dive into today. Okay, so for this beautiful book of short essays, we're going to cover a few. We're not going to cover all of them. We'll put the rest of them on our Patreon. We don't have enough time to cover all the essays, even though we wish we could. So check out our Patreon for the bonus essays. How was your week, Allegra? My week was good. Are you a sad girl this week? I feel like I'm too busy to be sad. I mean, I've been sad about a couple of things, but not profound sadness. Like, I can't really pinpoint one thing that I've been sad about. I don't know. I think I've just been working so much. One of my followers commented on my Instagram and said, I think I saw you on Broadway yesterday. Like, you should have come up and said hi. And I'm like, babe, I'm so embarrassed that I haven't left the house all day. I've been (laughs) working so much. It's not, no, I like don't stop working. It's becoming a problem. I am working on it, but I think I've just been too busy to be sad. I don't know how healthy that is, but it's not, not it's not healthy, but I'm glad you weren't cripplingly sad this week. The mental illness is still gone. Second week of my life. No, good for you. I know right now. Maybe the podcast just makes you happy. Maybe that could be it. No, I have I have symptoms for sure. I just haven't been profoundly sad, which is kind of unique. When you have been sad, how have you been coping? Definitely therapy. Love it. Cried a lot in therapy this week. Shout out to Lori. God bless. Our girl. My savior, my soul, my hero. My girl, my queen, <laughs> my everything. Aaron's like also my girl. Yeah, so I don't know if mine has listened yet. I keep asking her, I'm like, have you listened? And I'm not going to push it, but like, Oh, I'm going to push it. Listen. So therapy, I've been coping. Love therapy. Same. Have you been sad this week? <sighs> No, not really. I mean, no one cares about my acting shit. I'm going to come in every week and be like, I didn't book again. But I I was in callbacks for something else and they canceled the job. (laughs) So that is so sad. I found that this morning and it was so annoying. But then Keith was like, you seem to be like pretty grounded. Like even when this happens, you're staying pretty grounded. I was like, yeah. And I think I'm coping by reading again because like I have something to go back to. Like God bless book. I love books so much. And I think what reading can do is it can take you out of this reading reality. It's like you get to be in all of these different created realities. But the reason that I love the book that we just read this week is that it is like her actual life. Oh my God. And I just find it so validating to 
witness this vulnerability and to witness somebody else's like pain and life experiences. It's not made up like this is real. Yeah. And you can relate to it. It like got me in the feels many, 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 many times. Also so sad today. What a perfect name. And I love like the colors on the cover. I love the pink. I love everything about it. This book was dope. And it was based on her Twitter at So Sad Today. That really made me happy because a lot of the book was deep, dark issues. But I laughed out loud maybe like 700 times. And I never laugh out loud. But I was like, oh my God, you see me, you hear me. Like, this is me. Like, she's using humor to cope with her depression and... Yes. And I think when you're so vulnerable in the way that, I mean, she went there, like we're talking about the vomit fetish, like we're talking about her sex. Let's talk about the essays. The first one that really stood out, which was what is it called? The first essay. Okay. How to never be enough. Also the names, like two craft choices, the names of every essay, perfection. So good. The first line of the whole book I underlined, it says bringing a child into the world without its consent seems unethical. I've always thought that. Okay, so tell us more about that. We did not ask to be born. We didn't ask to be here. And then if our parents are going to bring us here, it is their one responsibility to take care of us and love us and nurture us. And I think it is absurd how many parents out there do not show up for their children. Don't know how to do that and take that responsibility like very lightly. If you're going to choose to have a child, you show up. Like, you show up, you do the work to become a better parent, you do the therapeutic work, mm-hmm. you work on yourself so mm-hmm. that your kids are supported and healthy. And it is kind of like just thinking about it. Yeah, like when, if you're bringing a child into the world and you're not doing that kind of work and you're fucking your kid up, that's pretty fucked up. The kid didn't choose this. Yeah. And then you unwillingly get placed into this family. I love that she called that out. I've never heard anyone call that out. I never have either. And she talks about people having kids as a way to fill their own like void. Yes, I underline that. That is so interesting. I don't think that that's everyone, but I definitely think that it is some people. Definitely. Not having a kid, perhaps, for the right reason. And if you do by accident and you choose to have your kid, then it's okay to be messed up. I'm not telling people they, they have to be perfect, but then go do the work. Right. And get better Absolutely. for your kids. Yes. Because that is that should be like a criminal offense to pass down all that shit to your children. They didn't ask for this. Right. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love... I underlined so much here, too. Oh, my God. I was laughing out loud where she was like... She said, according to my mother, the doctor who delivered me said I was pretty. I wanted to believe him because I love validation. Validation is my main bitch. So I was not the type of infant to absorb a compliment. Oh, my God. I was, like, dying. And then she's like, but I think the doctor was lying. I really don't think he thought I was pretty. Right. And if he liked me... There was something wrong with him. Yes. Not only that, but I underline and I actually texted a picture of this to my therapist when she says negative things alternatively are the objective truth and Mm. they are always your own fault. I do that all the time. Yeah, the positive things are just something else. (sighs) Whereas the negative thing is, no, this is about me. I've done it and it's real and true. That's like if someone gives you feedback on your work. Like you showed me like a draft of a book you wrote because... Maybe that'll happen soon. (laughs) And I say all these good things. I say this, 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 this. And then I say two things that are things to work on. And all you latch on to are the negative things. That's how I go about life, which is what she's addressing. Absolutely. Yeah. And she only finds faults Mm -hmm. 
in the negative. She won't take accountability for the positive. And then she goes on to say, if you're never going to be enough, it's important to find a way to turn a compliment against yourself, to reconstruct it into a prison, which is precisely what I did. Mm -hmm. I decided I would have to stay pretty for the rest of my life. If I got ugly, it would be my own fault. That stabs me in the heart. It really just like makes my stomach drop. It just feels so relatable to women and how we are asked to stay at this level of perfection and beauty at all times. Right. And that's directly equated to our worth. Okay, so then she goes on to talk about her first day on Earth. She knew she wasn't enough. Her first day on Earth, she said she was already thinking about death. TBH, probably same. (laughs) And no, for real, an aside, my parents literally said to me, we used to call you Lump Allegra because you just sat there as a baby, like, and didn't emote. Like, everything was blank. And I'm like, it sounds like I was clinically depressed and that my <laughs> needs weren't being met. And it sounds like this is something you guys right. need to address. But let's just call me Lump Allegra. I really hate that. Yeah. I need a word. <laughs> I need a word. I need a word with your parents. So not only does this doctor say... You're so pretty. She doesn't believe it. But then her own mother says, you are, you were killing me. Breastfeeding. Guilting her for being born. Literally. Guilting her for needing sustenance. And I think that this also ties into eating disorders. Yes, which is the next chapter. quote unquote, killing your mother as an infant is proof of one's too muchness. In the context of food and consumption, too muchness translates into not enoughness. Your appetites are too big for the planet, and therefore you probably shouldn't be here. Bingo. Boo. So if you are hungry, if you want food, you are not enough. There is something wrong with you. You are fat. You are like that. I can see the link between this mm-hmm. and her eating disorder. It's wrong to it's, need. It's it's wrong to need sustenance. It's, it's been r- marinating in her since literal birth. Right. It's wrong to need sustenance within relationships. We're going to get into that. You deprive yourself of everything. Yeah. And that reminds me. And. But it's so true. Like if you are, and she's not directly talking about being fat here, but I think it's really important to point out that in our society, the fatter you are, the less enough you are. You're mm-hmm. not good enough. Mm-hmm. You're not tiny enough. Take up the. That's how it works space. in our society. Hundred percent. So she was sucking too hard, and her mother said, "You are killing." Like I don't even know what to say to that. It makes me immensely sad. I can't wait to breastfeed. <laughs> Sometimes I just Google it. I hope I'm, like, good at it. I'm, like, breastfeeding. I feel like most people my age are, like, out and about doing cocaine, and I'm, like, Googling breastfeeding. I'm just, like, want to look at your Google searches. Like, I don't want to know, but I also want to know what else you're searching. It's really just, like... Breastfeeding, am I dying, am I okay? (laughs) That's mine. Am I okay? Am I dying? Am I am I this? Am I that? Is it is it okay? Is this gonna happen? Is it bad? So you if- are researching compulsively, perhaps. What do you mean, Alexa? A compulsion. I know what you mean. I actually I don't research compulsively. I think I just get curious about things. Me too. I get yeah, curious. especially while reading. Like if I'm reading a book and a mom says like my baby latched, like I want to know what that means. Uh-huh. You know, I'm not like sitting here googling like breastfeeding tits all day. Yeah. I just like if someone talks about breastfeeding, I'm like, oh, I want to know more about breastfeeding like how does it work cool I, it's just not a topic that I would think to look up but, but I'm I am like you. my ovaries are I so know, on fire 
I would have eight children right now. <laughs> so, like, you have to understand, like, the time, like, filling a bottle of milk for my child would bring me, like, pure joy. Like, I think about all of these wow. things. All Like, I think about pushing my kid in a stroller. Like, I dream Aww. about this every single day. Do you think that, like, the, the wanting it to be now and, like, not being as patient, even though you're a fetus, you know what I mean, is tied to you want to create this family that you don't feel like you might have that's certainly part of it and I do talk about that in therapy feeling like I didn't at all get the family that I needed growing Mm -hmm. up and I feel without family for sure not necessarily like physically but emotionally and I do want the chance to recreate that and like it's not necessarily all that you know like I feel like that sounds like I'm bringing a kid into the world to like heal me but I also just like genuinely fucking love kids I also feel like you've done so much work you're gonna be such a great mom and you're like ready work whenever someone puts a baby in you you're ready I'm so ready I just I've wanted it forever you're like I am at Aaron's no literally I'm like I will any takers Let's Here go. I am. DM her. She is so, ready to give birth. No, I just see like, I'm just one of those people who have wanted it since I was three years old. I think some, and I don't want to say all women are because I don't believe that whatsoever. I, I'm yeah. only speaking for me, was born with this intense desire to nurture. Like, I love the little kids that run down the hallway in my building. Like, the fact that there are families and babies in my building, Aww. like, suits me so well. I love that, too. There's so many families around here. You texted me that a dad got off the elevator. Oh, this actually made me sad. Maybe backpack. that was my Makes sad so moment earlier. Sad. I know. It was... He was holding her hand. Oh. I want a parent to hold my hand. Oh. And then he was carrying her huge pink backpack. Like, it wasn't, like, a little, like, Rapunzel backpack. It was, like, like a down. big, weighed-down backpack. And he's holding her hand and carrying her backpack. That's like, really I want to be nurtured like that. And you will be, and you will nurture. And then I will get to nurture like that. So let me also perform my compulsion right now and say I'm not <laughs> weird for Googling breastfeeding. You're not weird. I just... You're I Google things weird. that I'm curious you're, about. Because you're passionate about I'm ready. the things that go along with being a mother. Right. And I think a lot of people, I actually talked to someone this morning who just gave birth and she said, oh my God, no one prepared me for this. Like, mm-hmm. I want to be prepared. I think I'm that a lot of people so just go into being a parent and have like they think it's supposed it's to just be this thing like ever. thank you and and I think that a lot of people go into it like oh my god it's gonna be so fun and have absolutely no, no. idea I want to have all the ideas I want to read all the books I want to do all the therapy so I can be the yeah. best mom ever Aww. and I also want to be like pushing my fucking stroller on birth and I and your stroller's gonna be like nice and you're gonna have like it's gonna be like decked out with like all the cool my stroller's stroller gonna be things. so nice hell yeah I'm ready. So Allegra's going to have a baby, but back to the book. Back to actually the eating disorder chapter, which is the next chapter, which is titled... Okay, this one's going to be a big one. I think me and Erin as survivors of eating disorder related to this so much. So this chapter is called, I want to be a whole person, but really thin. How many people can relate to that? I mean, everyone raise your hand. All my saddy girlies at home raise your hand. This essay starts with truly like my my bible it starts with i am an eater of numbers i prefer packaged foods foods with a barcode because they make the math simpler and counting calories and that gives me a sense of peace it's just an illusion of control really but that illusion is everything it makes me feel safe it gives me a stillness in my mind all i've ever wanted is peace 
And like, holy shoot, holy shit. When I was in college and at the peak of my ED, like numbers were my like self-soothing. I would count every calorie, like to the point where like I would write it all down in my phone. There was like app, there are still apps on your phone where you can easily do that. You know what's so interesting for me is I was never a calorie counter Mm. in my anorexia. Okay. And I think the reason for that is because my parents drilled into me growing up. Like, literally, like, corn is the most fattening vegetable. That doesn't count as one. Like, I just knew. Wait, hold on. What? I'm not joking. My mom would literally say to me, corn is the, like, she would say, eat a vegetable. And then I would make corn. Corn is the most fattening vegetable, Allegra. So I just knew I inherently, I never checked calories because I just, which is actually so fucked up for me to think about. I just knew which foods were bad, which was like Mm. most of them. I mean, I I counted and I also eliminated a lot of things. Oh, so much restriction. But it was so much her having these numbers be soothing. That was so like, as long as I knew the day. It's that control. I'm like, I know where I am. I also was that ED girly that like got on the scale Mm. like 10 times a day. No joke. And you were probably so happy about it. And other people around you were probably horrified. I haven't been on a scale. I will let it be known in like 15 years. So which is phenomenal. When I was in recovery, we had a a group where we all brought our scales and we had a ceremony where we smashed them with a hammer and it was so cathartic and so amazing and I have not been on a scale since. Mwah. That's going to make me cry. I know. I was on a scale at the doctor, but I told them not to tell me and they didn't tell me, which I'm grateful for. She put a paper towel over it and just to let you know, y'all, you can do that. Yeah. You can say... Unless it is absolutely a necessity for my health, which it often isn't. I have struggled with an eating disorder. Please don't tell me my weight. Granted, you and me are not living in larger bodies. So I want to acknowledge that privilege that sometimes people in larger bodies don't get. The doctor will say, no, I'm telling you your weight anyways. Yeah. But you can ask that. And sometimes they will still print it out and put it on the front page of your discharge papers, which they did to me. And then your BMI. Well, I was like, what are you? Doing. I already told you not to tell me. Then you've put this, yeah. and then you've put my BMI as well. Yeah, yeah. Doctors like really need to be educated on how to deal with. Like, I, I could write how a to book deal on with that. people, how, but yeah. also people with eating the disorders. Bedside but let's start with people, nang. right? Yeah, not great, not great. Were so, you also a diet ice cream eater? Oh Were you a six God. pack of Equal poured into oh your my diet God. ice cream? Yes, at a point I was. There was a summer up in college because I told you in my college was. I went to a musical theater school and it was very, there was a lot of problems in the messaging was telling women they could be stick skinny or they could be big mamas, but there was no in between. And First so, of all, I want to be a big mama. Second yeah. of all, it's like her quote, <laughs> the mom says to her, exactly. do you want to be a chubbette or exactly. do you want boys to like you? So I was like, if I want to succeed in this thing in theater that I've worked my whole life to do, I must not eat. So my whole like junior oh, and senior no. year... I starved myself. I cut out so many foods. And by the time I was about to graduate, I was so skinny. I almost got kicked out of school because I was so frail. And then I went to recovery and it was amazing. And I met all these people in group. And and that's like yeah. for me what also feels like the damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because I felt that way in my eating disorder. It was like 
I constantly was told I was too fat, but then I had an eating disorder when I was anorexic. And then it was like my friends saying, we're so concerned about you. Something is really wrong. You're too thin. Stop losing weight. And it's like, so I'm fucked either way. Yeah, like what am I supposed to do? So then you are told that you need to be thin, but then you're thin and then you almost get kicked out of school. This is just what women go through. It's like you're damned if you fucking do and you're damned if you don't. We need to be educated on how to healthily care for our bodies. Like no one teaches us this stuff. Did Um, you relate to this whole essay or just pieces of it? I related to a lot of this essay. I love the quote on 19. She said, I attended Hebrew school, but the religion of the household was food. Wait, did you go to Hebrew school? Of course I went to Hebrew school. I nailed Hebrew school. I went every Wednesday and Sunday. Wait, that's so cute. I was the best little Hebrew school. Like, I nailed all of my Hebrew. I can still read and write, but I cannot speak. But speaking of eating disorders and Hebrew school... I was a bad, bad girl in Hebrew school. We snuck out of class one day, me and my friend Robert Schwartz. Robert, if you're listening, I remember this, and I'm outing you. And we went into the rabbi's lounge and stole pizza from his refrigerator and got in so much trouble. And because we were starving, like we weren't eating enough. So me and Robert just went and like stuffed our faces. I'm proud of you because you are an intuitive eater. You were at that age. You Mm -hmm. knew that you needed food. It is weird. Was there a moment for you where it snapped? Because I never thought about food. I ate whatever I wanted for a long time. And then I remember specifically a day where I was like, oh, I don't, I need to change my body. And it was in college. Like I ate whatever I wanted in high school. I ate whatever I wanted. I am so envious of you. It was like, I'm going to go with probably age four for me. Like like just comments like my mom's friend came over one day and I was eating Ritz crackers and She was like, wow, you're really pigging out on those puppies. Like, just like when I was so little, the comments already started to the point where like I looked at a home video of me like on Easter Sunday. I was probably like three running around in my dress and I was going like, "Mm, cookies, (laughs) like any kid would. But I judge myself so harshly for that. And that tells me that like as a kid. Yeah, I mean, it, it started when I was like three, four, basically, where I don't even know what it is like to have a healthy relationship with food because I don't think that I've consciously like ever had one besides maybe at like six months old when I don't remember. (laughs) Wow. So I felt like this whole essay was not only written for me, but written by me. Like I could put this into my memoir. Mm hmm. And it would almost be exact. That's crazy. That must have made you feel so seen and like. It not made alone. me feel so seen, and it also made me feel so angry mm-hmm. just at the mom. The mom's role in all of this. We'll we'll get into in our fifty minutes and five therapy segment. Yes. But I related so much. I'm going to read a couple of passages that feel really important. I don't feel courageous enough to let myself eat whatever I want because I don't want to face the wrath of what my mind will do to me after. Mm. Where if you eat what you want, it feels like mental torture. Yeah. I'm an eater who doesn't trust herself. I'm a bad mommy to myself and a poor steward of my body. I'm an eater who knows better, but sees no impetus to get better because this kind of works and I feel more secure in my body at this weight. That is so common for people with eating disorders. This isn't working for me, but it's also kind of working for me because I'm getting praised by society. That is so true. Stealing food out of other kids' lunches, stealing change from mother's library fund. I would 100% steal money from my parents to buy food. you're being deprived, of course you would. Yeah, no, like I'm talking Carl's Jr. I would order like big sodas and like food and eat it really quickly until my mom arrives. Me and my sister would like walk to the donut store before school even started in middle school at like 7 a.m. And we would just like gorge on like 
so many donuts. And I felt so guilty for taking money growing up. And it's like, I just wanted to eat. You wanted to eat what made you happy and you were deprived of it yeah. every other the day. The binging on candy. I would drive to soccer games with freezer-sized bags of candy wow. and just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. Like, binge on it. And then, similarly, she flushed the wrappers down the toilet and was found out we would like hide them in the sofa cushions and my dad found them and was livid and then it was our fault like you you're hiding you're eating too much candy and you're hiding the wrappers not recognizing that like you are the reason that i'm eating this much candy and hiding the wrappers yeah because if there was a balance right made then you wouldn't feel the need to if i was given the food that i wanted right there's so much i have to say about this that i want to get into in that therapizing section but what i really liked about this essay as well is that she basically says i don't know if i'm a good feminist i'm probably a horrible feminist because i'm still gonna keep doing this to myself and i'm gonna keep saying that i don't fucking like my body but I don't think that makes her a bad feminist. No, do you? I think because she's conscious of it and she she knows there's an issue, but she's doing her best. Like this shit was instilled in us since birth. Like how are we supposed to? I think she says I'm an eater who's a good feminist, maybe because I'm being honest with you now. I'm mm-hmm. giving you permission to tell the truth about where you are in your process of dismantling your fucked up schemas. Mm-hmm. That is so incredible. Not all of us are at the place of body neutrality and body love. And people do get to be where they're at in their own journeys. It doesn't inherently make you a bad feminist. And like we've talked about in other episodes, we are all subjected to this. No one asked to live in a world in which women are told that you must be as thin as possible. So you can't really fucking blame her. No, and I'm thinking of it now, like, I can't think of literally one female friend of mine that isn't severely unhappy with her body. And, like, that says a lot about the world we're yeah. in. And then she dreamt of what she would eat if she identified as a man. Have you ever oh my done God. that? Oh, my God. When I was at the peak of my ED, I dreamt about food every single night. Every yeah. Night. And then do you ever think about, and maybe this is too personal of a question, but like look at Keith and think like, oh my God, why can he eat all that and I can't? Like, do you ever think about what men can eat and you can't? I'm so jealous. Like, I'll eat maybe like one fourth of what he eats, like when I'm portioning things. (laughs) Like, I mean, he is taller and like, but like, that's just like a male female thing. Like, we cannot eat what men can eat. I used to watch my brother and my dad just like eat and eat and eat, especially when my brother was growing up and going through puberty. And I was so jealous because I wasn't allowed the things that my brother was allowed to eat. And I constantly think if I were a man, I wouldn't give a shit because I would have a dad bod and I would be sexy. Hell yeah. But if I have the stomach that I have now, it's gross. Yeah, dad bods are in. But if you have like one inch of skin on you and you're a female, you're disgusting. Right. She talks about two things that I want to ask you. The first is... Her saying she's hypocritical because she lusts after what she calls the, I can't pronounce this, the Zaftig female body. Mm-hmm. So she lusts after the body that she doesn't allow herself. When she looks at porn, she types in fat lesbians. Mm. She finds it sexy as fuck. She says it really turns me on and I want to let myself go all the way. But it's a freedom I can't allow myself. Is it feminism or is it just desire and objectification? Thoughts about that? I think her being critical and judgmental towards herself is very different than towards other people. It's so interesting because obviously anti-fat bias is at play here. We know it is. Mm -hmm. But I do think that you can think differently about other people's bodies than you do about your own body. Like this might be more internalized anti-fat bias than it is externalized. 
And I do think it's unfair to say that if you don't like your body, that you then hate all fat people. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that to be true. I really do think that there can be internal pieces to this because people's body image struggles are unique and body dysmorphia and also like if i looked at a girl on the street that had my exact body i'd be like oh my god she's gorgeous but if i look at myself in the mirror sometimes i'm like yeah and i always describe it to clients as like this is our own subjective experience Mm -hmm. we're feeling all of these things we're we have internalized let's say my parents who ridiculed me about my weight growing up Mm -hmm. melissa has she says for her that she feels safest at a place of being thin because she wants to live so far away from rubbing elbows with chubbiness. She literally says, fat for me in terms of my own body represents terrible feelings, shame, disintegration, self-hatred. I experienced these things as a child and Mm. I want to protect myself from feeling that ever again. So that's her own experience. I don't necessarily think it's fair to say that she hates all fat people. No, not at all. But there is anti-fat bias at play. It's really directed at herself. And it's interesting that she lusts after the body that she doesn't allow for herself. Yeah, because what would that be like to be free and eat what you want and live how you want? If y'all have read Milk Fed by Melissa Broder, if you know, you know, that is such a big role. Well, I'm excited to read it. Don't spoil. I'm not going to spoil anything. Melissa Broder, side note, is an icon and she has agreed to send us her next book and we're going to chat with her about it. So I'm so excited. Tuned, I took a ladies. writing workshop with her and she's so skilled in terms mm. of craft. She's so vulnerable. And I know we've talked about this, but to bear her own inner workings on the page in the way that she did is pretty incredible. Ballsy. Yeah. This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. So the next essay that I loved was Honk If There's a Committee in Your Head That's Trying to Kill You. Like, wow, 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 <laughs> wow, 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 wow. So I don't know if you know this about me, Allegra, but I got into meditation in college. It really helps me with many things. Number one of, of being an actor, being in the present moment, being exactly in where you are in each moment, not anticipating anything, but really like grounding and dropping into here and now. So I've been trying to meditate, trying because I'm not like that skilled for many years. She talks about these voices in your head, which also can be called the ego. If any of y'all are into that kind of jam, the ego she talks about as the committee in her head. And I've never heard someone talk about (laughs) ego and consciousness, like rising above the ego and really like being um, quieting the noise like this. I laughed out loud so many times so you know how she said she likes to meditate she's like it doesn't cure me it's not like a a cure-all but it helps me find a moment of silence and that moment of silence like 
especially if you're in an OCD spiral, it is the most blissful thing ever. Do you know what that like that moment is? Yeah, and I think I related to the committee in your head like OCD. I don't mm. think that that's obviously not the way she's describing it more as like there's constant judgment from the committee in her head. But the way that she writes about this and conceptualizes it, it feels so much like OCD. Totally. And she even says, it seems counterintuitive to hang out with the assholes in my head who are trying to kill me so as to defeat them. But this is what I found to be effective. This is why I have to meditate every morning. Is that not the non-judgmental acceptance and coexistence of intrusive thoughts that we have to live with and do daily? And she says she finds this piece on page 68. She says, also, the silence is always there. The silence doesn't go away. It's just that sometimes I don't hear or feel it because the committee is so loud. The committee is a lot louder than the God silence and it also can seem more exciting. So that's so true. Like if you're having OCD It thoughts, feels so real, even though the silence is always there. Like urgent. I still know who I am, but then how loud the committee is makes you doubt because it feels so fucking real and it's so loud. Oh, I think she's totally talking about OCD, anxiety, eating disorders, committee. Yeah. I mean, ego is like all of those. as well. It's, and it's, then she tries to placate it by doing what it wants. So AKA performing a compulsion, mm-hmm. but then says when I try to placate it, it doesn't work. There's never going to be enough to satiate this committee. It gets hungrier. It runs faster. OCD. OCD, it, Compulsions never satiate. So I related to this so much in that way. Okay. I like to meditate as ultimately, like, I think meditation for me, I, I don't do it very often at all. My therapist has been telling me to meditate for years. Please so I'm not going to do it. I feel like you I'm not going to act like Buddha it. over here. I rarely meditate. But when I do, it is to ground myself a little bit more, to regulate. But also, I like meditation, and I know people with OCD hate it, and I know y'all are going to kill me for this, but (laughs) it is a great exposure for people and a great way to practice mindfulness because Mm. for people with OCD, meditation is an exposure to your intrusive thoughts. hundred. And then you're having to sit with those in silence and then keep coming back to the present moment. So I like it for that. Over and over Of like, I'm not going to be afraid of you. I'm going to make peace. I'm going to let you coexist. And ultimately, that is how we beat OCD is like, you can hang out with me. I'm just not going to engage you with you. You can be in the passenger seat, but I'm driving, sweetie. That's exactly. And you that's can come to tar- same. You can come to Target. Yeah, you can come to Target in my fucking purse. <laughs> yeah, but, but I'm like, not going to. No, I'm going to get a Starbucks. I literally and- have a B tattooed on I me know. for that. We want to get that B <laughs> ring. What's that brand? It's like LK something. Sponsor it's, it's, yeah, sponsor us. us because I want a B diamond ring. Me too. Um, but yeah, like the bee on your shoulder, it's always there, but you can coexist with it. And yeah. I love that. I love there's the way that she talks about being judged too, about everything. Yeah. She literally says the ocean gives me performance anxiety about being <laughs> at peace. The moon is definitely judging me. Dogs know the truth. Babies see through me. Anything natural, anything pure is judging me. Jeez. Yeah. Sweet she feels like she can't ex- escape it. I know, I know that feeling. And she feels the most profoundly existentially awful. Like, wow. Okay, so the next one we're going to talk about is Hello 911. Wait, so if you could call 911, what would you say? 911, it's me. I need a snack. I would say 911, where's my husband? (laughs) LOL. (laughs) I called 911 by accident when I was little. Oh my God, me too. I was so scared. 
like many times. Did they come? Talk. No, but they were like, you can't keep doing this, little girl. I just wanted, <laughs> I just wanted a friend. I had imaginary friends because I was an only child. We'll get into that another. Episode. Oh. Yeah, a little lonely. You're alone. like, the police were my friends. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the cops are my friends. <laughs> we go way back. I loved this essay because I also think that there is so much nuance in it. It's kind of the damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm. So this essay is about Melissa deciding to get Botox. And she says, if I can't defeat time and death, which is a huge existential fear of hers, then let me at least be impervious to what other people think of me. The dermatologist who will relieve me of what other people think looks like a fetus. I, I saw that and I was like, I, I loved the fetus thing. So fetus. she decides to get Botox and in this essay really talks about how difficult of a decision that was for her, how much anxiety it gave her, how she kept going back and forth and beating herself up. And I think it begs the question. And I think this is kind of what she's asking. Like, does it make me a bad woman, a bad feminist to get Botox to alter my body? What are you, what are your thoughts that on that? That is such a deep question. I've been struggling with this, this exact question, like very lately. I have a lot of friends that have had Botox. I do not like the lines in my forehead. I keep getting very close to making an appointment and then something in me is like the same thing. It's like, how dare you like, that's so hypocritical. You tell everyone to be like, love themselves. How dare you go get Botox? That's what the, right. that's what the committee in my head is telling me. And I cannot make a decision. I can't. I, this is where nuance exists. And I think I've grown into the take of, first and foremost, I don't think I think a lot of the time it signals something that we feel insecure about. But for me, like, I will fully admit to you, I get lip injections. Lip. I love my lip injections. My lips are iconic. They I are didn't iconic. go around growing up being like, oh, my God, my lips are so small. And a lot of people do, and I'm not judging them at all. For me, I was like, wow, I really want, like, these bigger lips, and I want to put lipstick on it. And I love, like, makeup and creativity. So I don't necessarily always – like, I could not have lip injections, and I would be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, we get to make decisions about our body. And I think that's what is most important is that we have the choice Mm -hmm. to make decisions about our body. I think where I find it not helpful, I'm not going to say anti-feminist necessarily, but I think when celebrities do it and they do a lot of it, they deny it. That's and then they're posting on social media and on Instagram acting like this is just their body. And that's they a will, problem. That's a problem because then you're not being transparent. I think that if you were going to get surgery, if you were going to get injections, if you were going to get X, Y, and Z, and you are a celebrity, you have to be honest because people now think that you can just be born looking like yeah, that. Yeah, you can age and look like that. So then when they age and they have There's lines, a, they're like, what's like wrong with me? Yeah. So that's my qualm with it. I don't think that it makes you bad, a bad woman or a bad feminist to desire changing something about you. There's, there just is a lot of nuance there. And I think like we've talked about, you're damned if you do damned if you don't, if you let your leg hair grow out, it's disgusting to some people. But then if you shave your leg hair, it's, well, you're not a feminist anymore because you're not for women having hair on their legs. Why don't we define feminist as like, what makes the woman happy? Why does it have to be this blueprint of right? It's And first of all, feminism is literally about equality. And if men get to do what they want to do with their bodies, then we can as well. Yeah. A lot of this, I will say, like she says, it's both. She says, I don't think 
It's just the American beauty industry talking. I think this is me and my fear of judgment, time, and death. Actually, maybe it is just the American beauty industry talking. Fine, Mm. then. It's loud as fuck. I think it's nature and nurture as well. Yeah. And I don't condemn people who get worked, and I just wish that they would be honest about it. Because otherwise, it's like, wait, why Why am I not able to And she went so back and forth with this. There's something bad if I don't do it when I could just stay young looking. Mm -hmm. But then if I do do it, it makes me a terrible person. And I think it really speaks to ageism in our society. Like, women... Women are called old hags. Yes. And men are called silver foxes. Like, come on, y'all. Yeah. No. Women are not allowed to age. I love a woman with gray hair. I love a woman who, like, lets herself age gracefully. If that means getting Botox, get Botox. I feel like it's the woman's choice, and being transparent is really all we can ask. Like, do what you want to do and be honest about it. Right, and I also don't fault women when we live in this society, right? It's like we talked about earlier. Women are all subjected to this. Yeah. And especially those, like... We don't have time to get into this, but Khloe Kardashian is a really great example. Like, mm-hmm. I think that she's done very unnatural things to her body and she's lost a very unhealthy amount of weight, but she was also called fat for years and was called the fat sister and she was ridiculed and torn apart in the media. We should Can you fucking her. blame her? Can I you mean, fucking uh, especially blame her? with her her family like no I right she was her. always the fat sister yeah you fucking did this to her and then now you're gonna say yeah. you've lost too much weight like that's the problem. Let her be. Right. And the one thing I I have to say, too, on page 119, I really, really wanted to read this. She says. She says. I need everyone to take this in because it's so important. On my deathbed, I'm going to regret the ways that I have hurt myself. I'll regret the frivolity of chasing beauty and seeking validation, the kinds of things I have done to provide an illusion of safety on this planet, behaviors that perhaps wasted my one and only life. Let that fucking sink in. My eyes are watering. When I read that, I felt the same way. It feels so urgent now. It feels so like I must lose the weight. I must be on the diet. I must get the Botox. It doesn't fucking matter. It's like Anne Lamott's quote that I love. When you're 80 years old looking Mm -hmm. back on your life, do you really want to not have swam in the fucking ocean because you had jiggly thighs and did you not want to eat the fucking delicious donut? Like... Do you ever have thoughts? This is like deep, but sometimes I'll have thoughts like, what if I just said like, fuck it and like literally did whatever I wanted, like ate whatever I wanted, didn't put on makeup. Like, I mean, I'm not like a super like, I'm not that put together. But what if I just like let myself do exactly what I wanted to do? I don't think any woman lets herself eat or be exactly how she wants to be. And I will be so honest here. I relate to so much of what Melissa was saying in the I want to be a whole person, but a really thin one. I am afraid, and this is my own internal anti-fat bias, and I'm totally going to own it. I'm afraid of what my body would look like at that point. And then I am afraid that I would not be loved for it. And that's ultimately my own experiences growing up and how weight was tied to work. That's what I fear, that Mm -hmm. I would like let myself go and I wouldn't be loved. That's that's so deep and true. I feel like it's so tied to my career and like what I've made a career of and like my face and my body is like part of my career and it's part of the product I sell. That's, I've got to say that must be so hard being an actress. Lot. It's a lot. You all you have to stay looking a certain way because you have to look like your headshots at all times. Yeah, when let's be fucking honest, there are not a lot of roles for 
larger folks, and I'm no. so fucking sick of the fat fat friend trope. Oh, no. Barbie Ferreira, I think, talks about this, how she was always cast as the fat friend. We and then she fu- to, We need to change this. Yeah, we need to, like, go into Oh, my God, that. I thought you meant the podcast. I was like, did I say something no, wrong? No, no, no. We need we to have go to. into that. Yeah, it's like you're always the fat friend, and that just goes on to reinforce the notion that it's bad to be fat. And that if you're fat, you can only be one thing. Yeah, you can only be the sidekick. You're never the main character. Bitch, I'm the main or fucking character. Or your storyline has to be, like, you struggling with weight or something. Right, instead like, of just, like, I can be happy yeah. with my body, and I can be healthy. And have because love. And, health at yeah. every size exists. And then she finally got booked for a role that had nothing to do with her fucking body these are just interesting conversations and i'm so glad that melissa like we said yeah like she bared her soul in this way and we literally could talk about this book for 48 hours like we are already i could talk about it longer don't hate me don't hate me i'm just gonna read one more line because it's really really important so she says spiritually the botox had no positive effects i still feel fucked a lot i'm not whole i'm human and she says, the bo- the Botox shaved a few years off of my life, but it didn't change me internally. That is profound. Yeah. Body image is often internal. You might feel a little bit more confident if you alter your body, but the goalpost always moves. Yeah. It, like, it's back to when the committee in your head. Weight, you think, if I just get to that weight, I'm going to be happy. No, you're fucking not, because I was never happy when I was 100 pounds lighter. It's what the voices are telling Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's internal. It's mental. The goalpost is constantly moving. So okay. let's change the way that we talk I about convince. it and talk about other women so we don't have to feel that we need to right? focus. Okay. So the next... Google Hangout with my higher the self. The next essay, Google Hangout with my higher self. Why did you love this? I... Okay. Let's talk about the format first and foremost. I love that these essays, like, it's me, higher self. Like, it's like a chat. The way that I scream laughed out loud, I love that it was like she was on AIM talking to her higher self. That brought me so much nostalgia, so much joy. And <laughs> what was her AIM name? Tinkerbell39012. Stop, that's so what cute. What was yours? I literally don't remember. My Tinkerbell. first email address was OC Soccer Girl at OCD Soccer Girl. No, oh, literally <laughs> OCD Soccer. This girl's fucked. OC soccer girl it's so embarrassing (laughs) no it's not I love it Tinkerbell okay Ryan Tinkerbell and Ryan okay (laughs) so why I love this was it was going back to the committee thing it was like the ego and consciousness which Allegra's like rolling her eyes no I'm just like what is that I'm so perplexed I'll give you a book called A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle we should actually cover that it is so good for people who have mental illness you are mentally ill but anyway she's going back and forth with like this this committee and then going above the committee to like the calm and the wise mind and my favorite thing in the end is when higher self was like it seems like you are scared of containing multitudes tbh like why does it have to be all or nothing why are you just straight up good or straight up evil what if you are a very lovable douchebag? What if you are a heavenly asshole? What if you are a destructive, beautiful person? I love that. Her higher self's like, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be just this or just that. You can be all of the things. Because we are. It's so complex. We, we live in the gray so often. We do. And she is lives with black and white thinking very much so. I think a lot of people with eating disorders and mental health struggles do. I loved the higher self says, cool, I think you should spend the rest of your life worrying about death. And I'm actually serious. 
Because there's no way that someone who knows they're going to die would obsess about the bullshit that you do. Yeah. How insightful is that? If you thought about death a little bit fucking more, maybe you wouldn't be so fucking fixated on this. I also loved this essay because I love the format of it. And it made me realize I want to turn this book into a like Bo Burnham-y stage play. Um, I've never seen anything more than this. So Wait, have you seen Bo Burnham and stuff? Yes, okay. I love my my bestie jc so shout out she made me watch it i i wasn't a huge fan but i did oh wow we'll come back to that Words of Bo Burnham is is bay but i want like this scene to be projected on a computer behind me because i'm obviously casting myself as melissa broder <laughs> i love you and all I'm our thinking. future episodes it's gonna be and the lead role is definitely played by Aaron Comer. <laughs> because I can't get cast in anything else. I'm kidding. If I'm going to make this into a play and like I really relate to it, I really... Yeah, we're getting to the casting part. Should we just do it now? I'm going to cast myself. You are Melissa Broder. And it's going to be like behind me on a screen. I could see it like, so much. Higher self, blah, 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 blah. And, and so when we talk to Melissa, you need to chat with her about oh, making I'm this I'm pitching into- it. I'm pitching yeah. it. Yeah. I've already started taking notes. I love this. It's going to be super triggering to do, especially like eight shows a week, but I, I want to do it. I'll be there in spirit. She'll be there in... What do you mean in spirit? You'll oh, no, in the I'm, audience. I'm, I'm going to be dead. like spirit stick. I'll you're be, like, I'm not coming to your show. I'll be present. No, I mean, I'll be present, but I'm not going to be part of the play. Unless yes. I'm invited in, of course. No, no. I mean, I would love to have you in the play. Maybe for higher self, the higher self will be a voice, like a voiceover. And then her will be me on stage. So the higher self could be like your voice, like played in the That voiceover. would be so iconic. Oh my God. But yeah, that's definitely going to happen. What is the next essay you wanted to talk about? The terror in my heart says hi. And can I just say... I loved this essay, the one about medication. Oh, my God. Thank you, Melissa, for talking about the realities of people who take psychiatric medication. Which Allegra and I both do. Baby girl, do I take my We are Prozac girlies. I am, yes. I love it. Um, So it starts out, it seems like all the cool mentally ill people are on Wellbutrin. (laughs) Okay, maybe not cool, but like my mentally ill friends. Mm. I do feel like a lot of people are on Wellbutrin. I couldn't do it. I don't know many people on it. I know more people on Prozac. I got put on it by my psychiatrist because my TMI, my Prozac was giving me sexual side effects. So he was mm. like, let's see if the Wellbutrin can counteract that. Not knowing that Wellbutrin <laughs> is like a full stimulant, mm. I might be saying this wrong, but I drink a shit ton of coffee. Like yes. I drink multiple cups a day and that mixed with the Wellbutrin, like <laughs> I was like, I think I'm dying. I called my psychiatrist and he's like, I think that you like overdosed on caffeine, basically. Especially in the beginning of taking a medication, you have to be careful with caffeine. Oh, yeah. And drinking. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's all like figuring it out. But she was so honest about her experience with medication and this shit happens. It it happens and I commend her because I think a lot of people think that taking medication is taking the easy way out and it's a band-aid. It's really fucking hard when you switch medications and you have side effects and you go through withdrawal. It's It's, not an easy decision. It's excruciating. Right. I would say. It like, you have to like not work for the weeks you're doing that. So she says, I take a higher dose than I've ever taken, but I feel disappointed. It's kind of been a point of pride for me that I've never gotten close to the maximum FDA approved dose. I'm like, bitch, fuck me up. Give me the FDA approved dose. Oh, that's the opposite of me. And perhaps give me more. No, I literally... Because my brain needs to be blasted. I literally... 
think of her and I'm like, I just want to like be the most normal. I want to be the furthest away from the highest dose. And like over the years, I've gone up and down with my dose depending on what's Because like doing. sometimes for OCD, I'm not a psychiatrist, this is not medical advice, but higher <laughs> dosages can be necessary. Yeah. And so I'm like, fuck me up, blast my brain, give me whatever you got to give me, dear Lord, I will take it. But she really goes through and outlines her withdrawal and how shameful she felt about it. She says how much mental illness is quote unquote acceptable and how much is going to be quote unquote too much. I really related with her on this part because I feel like as a person and an actor and both of us as like internet personalities which i hate even saying that hi we're um influencers internet personalities. i was seen on broadway in manhattan yesterday but but there is like a a thing where we are expected to have it all together and be happy and not hit low points and not be depressed and not be not show our true feelings because that's what people expect of us and i i really appreciated her saying that i feel like that all the time i need to be this like bubbly bright remember i first started talking about me being on medication and it was so scary to say that because yeah so so many misconceptions about it and it's not in this essay and i don't even know if we're gonna cover that essay i actually think we might she talks about how a friend said to her i'm so sorry you're having panic attacks oh my I god i love that part and she's like wait you're treating me with the care Thank that's you. that you would treat someone with a physical illness and we don't do that no. like mental illness is often treated as like something ridiculous it's, it's in all your in head. your head no it's actually very real the last thing i'm gonna say for my ocd girlies because i know some of y'all are listening how she answers her what if questions was so what to diffuse them. I that is an OCD that. technique. I that love is an OCD. What if this is the wrong medication? So what? I'll get another one. What if I want to sleep forever and can't stop sleeping? Okay, so you sleep for the rest of your life. I leaning that, into it. That part was the most soothing to me because I have transitioned uh, with medications before. And if I would have just read this book during that time, I feel like it would have been so helpful because it really feels like the end of the world when you're going. I one time that. took myself off of all of the medication <laughs> without telling my Sorry. Allegra's like hysterically laughing. It's not well, funny. It was like, <laughs> it was like eight years. No, it was probably like seven years ago. So this was not recent. I was not a therapist. I was not even in school, but I just, like decided because I was like this isn't even working did I, not I did think that, too, that it was gonna do anything to me and all of a sudden I'm like in heat I am yeah. withdrawing like, yeah it's bad it was so unbearable I hate also how people think that medication like numbs you out or doesn't make you feel I like the analogy like most people are at a baseline we take medication not so we can get above people but so we can get honey to a so I can get on the even playing yeah. field so I can like wake up and I'm drowning the in the Atlantic with like 800 pounds in my brain <laughs> exactly sweetie yes what is next keep your friends close but your anxiety closer I think what? this is the last one you wanted to discuss this essay messed me up in so many ways in the best way I'm gonna quote page 154 it's one of my favorite Quote it, Henny. She said, at that moment, I realized that the one question I would want to ask her, the only question for me worth asking, would be, is it worth being so talented if you also have to suffer from a profound sensitivity that is intrinsically connected to your gifts? Oh my God, I have never felt more seen. My whole life, I have been told, like, I am so sensitive and I'm... I am so, um, I feel things so deeply, but that's what makes me a good actress. Like, that's why you're a good performer, Aaron. But it's also why I suffer. It's also why I have extreme anxiety, why I have extreme OCD. 
It's why I'm mentally fucking ill. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I really identified with that. And it's hard to grapple with like this thing that I consider my gift also causing me a lot of pain and how to find the balance between that and how to like what one teacher in college always said to me, which really helped. She's like, Erin, you are so sensitive. You're like this flower that's like open. And she's like, when you're on stage, you can leave your petals open. But then when you go off stage, you need to close your petals and go into the world, but have your armor up a bit. And I think that really helped me because I was walking around like an open fucking nerve all the time. Like, you know what I mean? And on stage, like you can be like That's a great metaphor. I love it. That shout out to Liz. She was one of my favorite teachers. But yeah, I love that she touched on that. When she was talking about her friend who was writing. Yeah, right? and I like how immediately after that, she says, I think it's okay to not be grateful for your curses. I think it's okay to just want your blessings to be blessings. Yeah. I write about this in something that I'll share with y'all soon, but I talk about how I don't believe everything happens for a reason, and I'm not going to say in this thing that I'm working on that... I am grateful for my experience with OCD. I'm not going to say that it happened for a reason so I could be here helping people. I don't fucking believe that. I'm not grateful for it. I think that it's, it's part of why I'm here and I enjoy my profession and I enjoy the purpose I get in educating and advocating about OCD, but I am not at all fucking grateful. (laughs) It's not a blessing in disguise. Grateful grateful for that. Right. It's not a blessing in disguise. And people will say that to me too, but oh my God, like what a blessing that you're (laughs) able to do the work you do. No, I almost died like 18 fucking times. The vocabulary around I'm lucky I'm alive. Yeah. I'm not I'm not like blessed to have gone through that. I've turned my pain into purpose, but I am not grateful for it. Snaps. Yeah. Take your broken heart, turn it into art. Right. But I don't need to be grateful for it. It doesn't have to be a blessing. Everything doesn't have to happen for a reason. I love that. It takes the pressure off. Maybe a blessing is a blessing and your pain is your pain and that's okay. Lugger's speaking the truth. Take notes. This is free therapy, y'all. Yeah. Our our next segment is... 50 minutes in five. 50 minutes in five. Allegra is therapizing. So what I really (laughs) want to talk about is in the essay, I want to be a whole person but really thin... She says, is there a part of me that knows how to feed herself enough, only what she loves and what nourishes her and never feel shame or fear? Did that part of me never exist and must be manifested or did it always exist as it does for the animals, but along the way got buried? This is so important because a lot of the time kids are natural intuitive eaters until parents fuck it up for them with food rules, with body shaming. And that is what we see here. And her, like, sneaking food is directly related to her not getting the food that she needs. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to give examples that I've seen in my office when I used to work with kids. And parents would come in with the kid mm-hmm. and say things like, and my kid is lying to me. I found wrappers mm-hmm. under their bed. They are lying. We don't like liars in this house. First of all, that's really awful to be saying to your kid. Second of all, I wouldn't quite call it lying. Third of all, you are the problem. Obviously, I say this very compassionately, (laughs) but your kid is sneaking food because you're packing celery in your kid's lunch. You're packing celery celery on organic pretzels and like grilled chicken. Your kid wants the goldfish and the Oreo and the apple and the sandwich. 
And also maybe the grilled chicken. Like it's a it's a combination. Well, that's exactly of all it. That's why it. I said the apple, the sandwich, yes. the Oreo, and the goldfish. But not like just the, all foods fit. Yeah. But I think what happens is when kids are told no, and it's it this it's. I don't even think I know this is what happens because it happens for adults. It's why restriction often leads to binging. When you tell yourself you can't have that food, you think about it more. When you tell a kid that candy is bad, that sugar is bad, that (laughs) goldfish are bad, what do you think that kid is going to want? All they're going to think about is that. All of that. And then they see their peers eating it. So... She says that she stole food from the other kids' lunches and tried to trade them for her food. And I have so much compassion for her. I would do that fucking too if my lunch was filled with celery and organic pretzels and grilled chicken. I know. I love and we chips. need to have compassion for her and recognize that it actually is the parents. Yeah. And that, so that's really like what's so important here is she was an intuitive eater until her mom came in and said, don't get chubby. You need boys to like you. This food is bad. Don't eat that. And when you put kids on diets, you are then interfering with their natural body cues and their natural hunger cues. Kids know when they're hungry. They know when to stop eating. And that's not, it's not a one for one like there are genuinely some kids who like only want to eat sugar and of course there are ways to work on that but it is interesting talking to some dietitians who work with kids who obviously allow all foods to fit in their house and they'll say things like I give them a piece of candy for dinner and the Twix bar sits half eaten on their plate they don't necessarily need the whole thing because they know that they can have another Twix bar if they would like it We always want what we can't have. Right. And kids are natural fucking intuitive eaters. But when your parents say diet and this is bad, you don't trust what you're feeling internally. You don't trust that you desire the goldfish and that you'll also desire the apple. Mm -hmm. And you learn that my own cues can't be trusted. So I think Melissa was born an intuitive eater. And I think her mom royally fucked it up for her. I want a word with her mom. And there is so much like... I do believe that things get passed down and I'm not inherently saying like her mom's a fuck up. We all pass down things. I do think it's for her mom to work on. And I do think there was cruelty there. Do you want to be a chubbet is really cruel. This is not just her mom passing down something that didn't at all impact Melissa. Of course it impacted Melissa. You can't hear that from a caregiver. No, not at all. So that's really what I wanted to touch on is restriction leads to binging. Restriction leads to sneaking food because the kid feels shame around food. The kid feels it's shameful to eat a cookie or it's shameful to eat X, Y, and Z. And you know what that fucking does? It sets kids up for eating disorders. What did Melissa have? Raging eating disorders. Yeah. Instilled in her from a very young age. And that's so important. How we treat kids with their food, how we talk about food, how we talk about bodies matters. I'm so passionate about that. So that was supposed to be therapies in five? Yeah, 50 minutes in five. So you're getting a full therapy session in five minutes. minutes? I don't know, but I enjoyed all of it. So yeah, was it five or was it longer? Um, A little longer. It was like nine. 50 minutes and seven. Yeah. And then let's read this book. What do you read it, Allegra? I'm going to say 4.8, 4.9. Wow. Yeah, I, I I think so many incredible craft choices, like in the I want to be a whole person but really thin, the repetition of I am a this eater, I am yeah. a that eater, like loved that. I loved the unique formatting, like the higher self essay, like an AIM form. I loved the vulnerability, and she has such a clear 
distinct writing style. Like content was incredible. Like 4.8, 4.9. Amazing. How about you? I'm going to agree with you. I was going to, my uh, first initial thought was 4.8. I mean, I don't really know if I'll ever rate something a five star that maybe I have but lessons in chemistry yeah but like if I could go back and knew there was decimals I would right maybe it would be different it. yeah we, it's we're hard to write a book a five out of five I've had some five out of fivers yeah it's very rare but anyway 4.8 I loved her extreme candidness honesty vulnerability I loved her humor I laughed out loud I also cried we also didn't cover a bunch of the essays that we will in our and Patreon. we're gonna cover it on Patreon if you want more of our life stories we'll yes. get more into personal detail And I remembered what I wanted to say earlier is that vulnerability begets vulnerability. That's what I was trying to say when my mind blanked for two whole minutes. (laughs) I think that's what's so profound about these essays. Mm -hmm. They're so vulnerable that it makes people be more vulnerable. It can make people open up about things like their fetishes and their body image struggles. It gives us permission to speak our truth by hearing someone else speak. I want Melissa Broder to, I'm going to say it right now, I want her to blurb. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. I want her to blurb my memoir. So let's see if that will happen. Are we announcing to the world you're writing a memoir? Uh, We we are announcing it to the world. But it's happening. No details yet, y'all, but you'll get details soon. Stay tuned. The book for next week is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Yes. By... Taylor Jenkins Reid. Yes, and I'm stoked for this, not only because I love the book, I've read it and I'm reading it again. I think you're going to have a really awesome time casting it. I love it. Because this. my friend had the, it's it's going to be a movie, but my friend was like, it should have been a mini series <gasps> where every husband is a different episode. HBO. Well, yeah, I want you to Kim. cast every husband. I am so excited. It's an incredible book and I'm actually so excited to read it again. I've wanted to read her stuff for a while so I am super pumped. We're um, so ready. We will see you next week, sad girls. We love you. Have we love a great you. Week. Or have an okay week, but we're thinking Have of you. a week that you have is yeah. my I give you permission to have the fucking week that you have. I love that. Bye. Love you. Bye, sad girls. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and subscribe and follow our show. It's the way that we can get the word out about our sad girl podcast and more sad girls can find their community. And if you'd like to follow us on other platforms, we're on Instagram at sad girls who read and TikTok at sad girls good books. We love you, sad girls.